Hey friends, how's it going? It's Matt. Thanks for finding your way to the latest episode of the Looking Sideways podcast. It's the show where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Hope you enjoy the episode, which is another dispatch from my recent road trip around California. And this one is an interview with three times longboard world champion, current Carlsbad City Council member, Corey Schumacher. So when I first put together my list of possible interviewees for this trip, Corey was one of the first names that I put down. I've long been fascinated by a story which first came to my proper attention in 2013 during the controversy that arose over the Roxy What's My Name ad campaign with Steph Gilmore. Now, if you missed that one, it was a story that could almost have been perfectly designed to shine a harsh light on some of the more toxic attitudes at play in the surf industry. And Corey was at the forefront of efforts to point out this rather obvious truth. The result in brouhaha almost perfectly encapsulated the intricacies, nuances and, well, challenges involved in debating issues of feminism, misogyny and sexism in an industry like surfing. And you see it often in a situation like this when people who've never previously given any thought to the issues raised by a conversation such as this suddenly think about it for the first time, blissfully ignorant of the many decades of nuanced debate undertaken on the same issue by far more intelligent and questioning minds than their own and fueled by a toxic combination of privilege and ignorance, decide to grace the debate with their own cliched, outdated and helplessly naive views on the same topic. Hang on, I'm describing the internet again, aren't I? Anyway, it's the same tendency that's at the root of Spinal Tap's timeless what's wrong with being sexy gag, and that is at play when people talk shit, get called out and then start banging on about free speech. And a classic recent example of this has been Terry Harkinson's contribution to the LGBT debate, with the old classic some of my best friends are gay line yeah it's a bit cringe and anyway exactly that's what happened here and the result was that the backlash was strong predictable and for Corey extremely personal and in preparing for this interview I went back to have a look at some of the blogs Corey wrote at the time and I gotta say the personal attacks from below the line from some particularly high profile dinosaurs of the surf industry are if you ask me pretty shameful but then speaking truth to power in this unerring unflinching way has long been a courageous hallmark of Corey Schumacher's life and career and was again demonstrated in the week before we were due to meet in the aftermath of Kiala's speech at the WSL Awards in April. Now that speech was roundly praised as the first time surfing had recognised an openly gay world champion and received worldwide coverage. Except, of course, it wasn't the first time surfing had an openly gay world champion because the first was, of course, Corey herself, who, as I mentioned before, is a three times longboard world champion and received extensive coverage at the time for being the world's first openly gay world surfing champion. For Corey, as we discussed, it's another example of how the surf industry complex sanitizes the truth for their own wider narrative. And for me, this is the main takeaway from this episode, which, as you're probably gathering, explores a few weightier themes and ideas than normal. And the thing that I find really interesting and admirable about Corey is that basically, for our little world, her thinking is extremely original. That's one of the main things I enjoyed about this conversation, her ability to cast a critical eye on the accepted industry discourse and challenge that narrative, as she did a couple of times during our conversation, and definitely made me think about things in a different way, as you're probably going to hear. Now, let's be honest, action sports are pretty white and conservative. I mean, have you read any of the below-the-line comments at some of our more popular online forums? As with all Western culture and history, there's an accepted version of the truth that we tend to all adhere to without really questioning it and which generally tends to favour the already privileged. When somebody does come along and book the accepted wisdom, 
They should be celebrated, if you ask me, but they rarely are. They're generally attacked. Like all the most admirable activists and thinkers in any field, Corey Schumacher stands apart from the status quo. And that can be a lonely place that comes at a huge personal cost. Now, whether you agree with all her opinions or not, to my mind, she's a true unsung hero of the surf industry and somebody we should be celebrating for uh, for being brave and honest. Now, I'll be back at the end with the usual housekeeping, but in the meantime, here is my conversation with Corey Schumacher on speaking truth to power. Enjoy. Um, I'm with Corey. How are you? I'm doing very well. Yeah, thanks for seeing us. Thanks for reaching out. Yeah, yeah, a bit of, you know, a bit last minute, wasn't it? How's your day going? Day's good. Weather's yeah. nice. Um, I think this is this is about an, an hour of time in between a, uh, probably a dozen meetings that right. we had today. So I'm very happy to, to get, take a break from city politics and, and dig into surfing. Yeah, and <laughs> how, how often do you get into surf these days? I probably get out in the water about once a month when I can. Right. I just grab my hand plane and my my fins and kick out and do a little body surfing but not quite as much as i used to yeah yeah um do you miss it because obviously that's quite a change right if you were brought up with you know your life surfing as much as you have yeah i i do um but i also know that what i'm doing will will protect the thing that i love so much which is the ocean and with your current, enjoyment of it with your current role yeah oh, so could you explain a little bit about that then Sure. Um, well, my my current role is city politics, but I'm a coastal, you know, in a coastal city. Yeah. And, you know, because we're in Carlsbad, obviously. We're in Carlsbad. Yeah. And also doing some work up at the state level. Right. Um, so when it comes to legislation and policy and what you can do from the local level all the way up to the state and just relationships that you form um, at the federal level, even. Okay. Um, and with organizations, you really get to do a lot of the work of of preserving and conserving and. Um, saving and fighting for the um the issues that you care about okay and i care very deeply about making sure that um we're doing our best to reverse climate change right um and impacting positively impacting uh, the effects that it's having on on the ocean so ocean acidification and um you know protecting ocean creatures of which surfers are some yeah of course yeah right um and obviously you've grown up as part of that community so yeah. you're able to bring that insight into the role right and i think one of the things i'm really interested in too is this idea of how um political actors from different backgrounds can bring unique experiences to creating policy and legislation sure so you don't typically think of a surfer as a, a background for somebody who's coming into political office it just doesn't seem to jive but what um, what I bring to this or uh, other elected officials like um, Imperial Beach has two surfers. Um, one of them is mayor, uh, Serge Dedina, right. and Mark West, who's also a council member down there and then recently elected another surfer, um, Paloma. But what we're able to do is um, really talk intimately about what pollution, for instance, along the border does to um, to not only tourism, but to but to people and um, to to the oceans and how oceans, just like we surfers, don't respect boundaries or borders and sure. we flow pretty, pretty easily across them. Yeah. So there's just a different understanding, a different mindset that can be brought to political spaces that I'm really interested in continuing to explore. Yeah, well, there's a, there is a history of activism in surfing, really, isn't there? You know, on a lot of different levels. Like in, in the UK, we've got Surfers Against Sewage, which, you know, is a, an NGO that's really active in this space. And there's definitely, th there is a history of it on in, on a, like a local issue level, isn't there, really? It's interesting that you say that because 
there's a lot of people who would prefer to think of surfing as an apolitical or non-political space. Yeah. But you're absolutely right that politics and surfing has, uh, at least activism and surfing has actually gone hand in hand for a long time. In fact, there's a wonderful book written by a gentleman by the name of Isaiah Walker, who wrote a, a book that digs into Hawaiian history, Hawaiian surfing history, and specifically Hawaiian surfing history. I mean, political from the start, right? Exactly. Yeah. Waves of resistance. That's that's protecting your your um, your surf zone against colonization. Yeah. So a um, metaphor for obviously the wider conversation. Exactly. Yeah. So I think I think the fact that that I'm starting to hear this more and more, like, okay, well, this is just you know natural that surfers would protect the thing that they love and and drift into political spaces um, is not something that was intuitive even five years ago so uh i really love to hear that, that this is more of a conversation why do you say that people would prefer it was apolitical that's an interesting observation i think the surf industry has done a really powerful job at crafting a narrative of surfing as uh, escapism which i completely agree with but presumably you think that's not telling the whole story it most definitely is not telling the whole story and i think with the emergence of um books like Isaiah Walker's or um, even the Surfrider Foundation when they initially came out or other organizations that are positioned to do work around pollution or climate change. Um, I think that it's actually returning to the roots of of, of what surfing actually is. Yeah. Um, and so the surf industry, I think, has done as, as good a job as it can at crafting surfing as a narrative of hedonism and escapism and just run away from all the problems that are on land and go and go enjoy the ocean. And uh, more and more, we understand that participating with the ocean is actually a political act, especially given the fact that the majority of the impacts from climate change are actually really impacting the ocean. Yeah, and, and will only in become ever more increasingly so, I imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's a, it's a very sort of narrow view, isn't it? The, the, tradi the traditional surf narrative is quite privileged effectively very white yes. kind of storytelling narrative. Yes. So was your interest in this spot when you were a surfer, professional surfer? Well, when I was a professional surfer, the, the thing that I didn't realize or have the language for was that my experience of competitive surfing or surfing in general um, was already political or already almost an, an, um, an activism. Uh, I was a woman, uh, I was an LGBT surfer, and uh, my participation in largely white, largely male spaces, um, just by virtue of being there, was was a political act. But I didn't have the language to express that. I just understood viscerally uh, the tensions that were were involved there. Yeah, you felt it on an emotional level, the sure. fact that you were treated in a way that was, I imagine, different from your peers, let's say. Yeah. So how did you cope with that? Um, you know, I drifted back and forth between trying to figure out what was going on, thinking maybe it was just something, you know, internal. You know, we tend to internalize certain things when really the, the issue is a social construct. Yeah, of course. Um, and so I would participate in surfing and then back away from it, move to San Francisco for a year to try to, you know, complete school and then come back and win a surf contest, a world championship, and then drift off away once the, the sponsorship was, say, you know, $2,000 for a year. And I thought, well, that's ridiculous. And so I had this really interesting back and forth or uh, relationship with surfing where I'd approach it, I'd throw up my hands and go, this is too much. And then I'd back away from it. Once I ended up getting um, the language for what was going on, and I started to understand on a more uh, institutional or structural level what was actually happening, I committed to getting back involved with surfing 
with a very specific intent to try to change the things that I had um, experienced so that generations of surfers after me wouldn't have to experience the same things that I did, which um, were extremely damaging and traumatizing. So I didn't want to leave uh, surfing just throwing my hands up. I wanted to leave surfing because I loved it. Well, I was going to, sorry to interrupt you, but that's one of the questions I was going to ask you because immediately I can sense, well, I imagine that must have been an, a, an intensely frustrating experience and situation because if you're being forced by the ex, by the way that you're experiencing this career and this to to basically leave it so you can recover emotionally and then go back to it and and that's obviously not of your own volition to to do that that must have been a really um well frustrating is probably a bit mild right but that must have been very difficult to accept and get your head around right it was it was um but i think a, a, something to understand about my character is that i'm deeply curious so if something and this this goes for anything in my life if if there's something that i'm i'm um getting burned by for instance um i want to know why you can you can look at it just that with that level of dispassion to try and understand it that's why i step back yeah um because it, obviously if i'm having such a strong reaction to it whether it's an individual relationship or something really large sure i i want to understand it and then make a decision about whether or not i want to continue to interact with it yeah. with some level of um you know desiring to change it or change myself if i need to be changed but in addition to that surfing really just the activity not the competitive side, not the industry side, but surfing itself, it was in my blood. Yeah, then that's that's why, again, why I raise it because I'm, I'm interested how you reconcile those, you know, three things you're talking about really, you know, the love for surfing, the experience of the career, and then this third layer of understanding and analyzing and then acting. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's a lot to digest. It, it was, <laughs> yeah, which is, which is why I think there's, you know, you can see me backing away, you know, approaching it, backing away, approaching yeah, it, backing away. Yeah, coping and, and a way of understanding it. Yeah, it was. And also understanding my place in it. Yeah. Right. So is my place in it just to acquiesce and, and achieve a dream, which is, you know, I want, I always wanted to, since, since I knew it existed, I always wanted to be a world champion. On the surfing level, yeah. Both my parents surfed, both my parents competed, our lives revolved around competitions and, and the ocean so it just you know was this natural tendency toward toward that that just was infused in me but at the same time um surfing like it does with all of us it grabs you someplace that's really unique to each individual sure and it itself becomes a mentor and a teacher about things that are larger than um larger than your personal experience yeah. or your individuality. Yeah. And I fell into that. I fell into this relationship with the ocean and with the relationship of, of other people who also had a love affair with the ocean and a relationship with it. And so really what ended up happening at, at a certain point was that I approached the competitive side of surfing, determined to bring this really authentic relationship that I had with the ocean as something that did liberate who I was I mean I returned home to the ocean when I had stress around being an LGBT person um, when it was tough um, you know being a woman involved with surfing there was always a place that I could go off somewhere and just have a relationship with with an ocean that couldn't care less what body I came in or what my sexuality was um, or or you know what I did on land yeah and I wanted to not necessarily 
bring back a purity. I don't know that that that, that word is the correct word that I'm looking for, but just this authenticity of relationship with the ocean that I thought um, belonged centralized in surfing. And I felt that surfing as an industry or as a culture actually wasn't living up to its potential in what it could be in the world as protectors of the coast, as um, voices for the ocean. An alternative narrative, basically. Exactly. Yeah. And so a lot of the work that I initially did was to try to bring awareness to the fact that these different narratives didn't exist, right? Yeah. And then... Um, try to create space or at least create an opening for the difference of of narratives. Yeah. And um, that was right at the very, um, I guess, right before I started to get involved with politics, that was really what I was trying to drive. We're we're creating these spaces where um, different narratives would be be celebrated. And and I think we're seeing a lot more of that now where we're seeing different narratives or people's desire for those narratives. It's starting to happen, isn't it? It is. But it's very slow. It is. It is slow, but social change is extraordinarily slow. Yeah, of course. But does this pertain to some of the struggles and negative experiences that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's any any status quo, right? I mean, you, you get a you get a top top layer of 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 people and companies and um, um, you know whoever benefits off of that dominant narrative, they're not going to very easily give it they're not going to want to give it away no of course it benefits them so i think social media has been a really big part of how different narratives have been able to creep in um, or different voices that challenge the dominant narrative and um, that's the relationship that we're seeing in our, that interaction is happening now yeah and um the the dominant narrative will will only last as long as your ordinary surfers are willing to tolerate it and i think that that um surfing has lived in a bubble for a very long time. Um, and it no longer can exist in a bubble um, outside of what's happening in the larger society. And I, as much as I have a, a particular opinion around the Olympics and what it means for surfing, sure. the Olympics has, uh, the drive toward the Olympics has opened surfing up to, to equality. Um, same thing with skateboarding. Same, same yeah, thing with snowboarding. I was about to say, right? Skateboarding, especially recently, even the last few months, you can see that, and yeah. snowboarding especially. Exactly. Yeah. So, so with this drive toward heading into want desiring to be more mainstream, interestingly enough, has come this. All right, well, if you if you want to head in that direction, guess what? Yeah, you're going to be interacting with society in a way, in culture, in a way where where some of the institutional things that you've been able to get away with. Yeah, the spotlight is on, and there's the no spotlight is on. There's no hiding place. Well, of course, the you know the obvious thing about this type of you know sweeping change cultural change is the fact that there's a lot of people that are very happy with the status quo um who don't want change and with something as monolithic as the surf industry which is very happily created this huge industry based upon this one message that you're talking about for 50 years now i imagine they were very happy with when you started to um posit a different narrative so how did that affect your career uh, <laughs> in 2007, when I decided very intentionally to get back into surfing in order to try to to bring some change into it, I chose uh, not to take any sponsorships on in order to retain the authenticity and the integrity of my voice, knowing that I was going to reach a point where I was going to have to stand up and look in the eyes of of the industry or you know the time the ASP and um, and and say this isn't right it should change. Um, and not be held back by um, fearing for um, the loss of sponsorship. 
which I had seen so many times that I, I just took it for granted that if I stood up as an individual with a powerful voice and as a woman, um, that that I would lose all sponsorships anyway. So and I, that, that had happened. Yeah, I'd watched it happen to a lot of people. Yeah. 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 And so, um, which I mean, you think about branding and if there's a particular style of branding and then you go off off message, then of yeah. course, you know, the you know, you're not on brand, you're not on message. So adios. Um, but uh as soon as I started to stand up for for the things that I valued, I think it was really interesting because I actually had people who I later aligned with um basically calling me out for for not paying attention to to um I'll use an example. Um, in 2011, when I started to talk about the surf competitions heading into China and and some of the the political issues yeah, that we had Hainan with that, Island and that's yeah, that's a longboard stop, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I had people who were coming out saying maybe you should pay attention to your own country, and I was like, you know what? If you if you knew anything about me, you'd know that I've been doing this since 2001. Being an and activist. also that's like an easy, you know, it's just moral relativism, isn't it? You know, it it's is. just it's just basically we well, can't have an opinion about that because this, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of a classic um silencing tool isn't yeah. it yeah and i got a lot of that so the, the biggest the biggest the biggest reactions were um and and were just people who couldn't tolerate um hearing an alternative opinion that was actually political yeah and that um i think the 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 intensity of the the clapback that i got let me know that um that the defensiveness and the fragility of the status quo actually was was um, was a lot greater than I had initially thought. And what I mean by that is a lot of people say you're just one person. Why do you think you can make a difference, right? And when you get a clap back like that and you, you see the fragility and you see the defensiveness, you're like, oh, one person's going to be able to do a whole heck of a lot. Yeah. And so I kept pushing because because I knew how fragile the the narrative was and knew that it would was just a matter of time before other people were going to go, you know, she's taken a lot of hits, but look, some things are starting to shift. And that's what's, that's what happened. And I, th- and I think it set off um, a snowball effect. And I think that, that um, also with some changes that are being made with professional surfing and, and also in the larger society, I think we can really see that, um, um, the rupture, the rupture that was was torn open, and, and the un, unrelenting um, sort of attention that was paid to to surfing, competitive surfing in the industry, um, successfully set off a um, earthquake. So this clapback, you yeah. know, backlash that you're talking about, was this from the industry that you talk that you're referring to? Some of it was industry folks. Um, some of it was um, just your, you know, normal folks who are always on the forums below the line you below the line yeah. don't ever go below the line <laughs> um, but yeah there. so i i very quickly became somebody that that uh certain certain folks love to hate yeah and um they they're, they're still around strangely <laughs> well they're never gonna go away <laughs> you know. yeah yeah um woke liberals and all that <laughs> yeah yeah but again that's just the people who are threatened isn't it essentially yeah. because because they don't want that change and also they'll the other line of attack slash defense is that they're to deny there's a problem, isn't there? Yeah. You well, know? everything's working for them, so yeah, yeah. The priv- you know, privilege basically, yeah, exactly. like not understanding that, yeah, that just re- flat out refusing to kind of accept it, which presumably again is something that you've come up with a lot. Yeah. So how did you handle that at this point? Because you know, this is in the middle of your career. This is you know a, a stance that you're taking. 
no support from the industry, criticism from the wider public that are paying attention. I mean, that's, I imagine, a lonely place to be. It was. It was It was incredibly lonely. Um, but I, I made some allies in academia, and um, I also did a lot of soul-searching and realized that, um, that there's two ways of making change. The first is, you know, you, you're the lone voice in the wilderness and you go out there and you take all the hits and, you know, and, and there's that way. Um, or you do the work of, of building an army, basically, um, widening the, the scope. And um, I realized that that I, I nobody likes to be the, the one person with the target on their back. Um, so I set out to, to try to form organizations that would educate other people who are interested in this and thinking about how to to talk about the different things and be willing to step out on a ledge and and continue to do the work. So um, that that was when I realized that it's much better to build movements than it is to just step out. Yeah, this this tendency that you discussed earlier of basically doing the work to get you through it almost yeah you can you can change things what is that there's there's a quote that you can change things fast if you go it alone but you can you can um you can really make substantive long-term changes if you do it together yeah so can you uh, talk talk us through that a little bit so there's a couple of movements that you were involved with right yeah um well i guess starting back in 2001 which is when i um, after the 9-11, that was really when I found myself in, involved with activism. Yeah. Um, and that was very political. And I, I didn't tell the surfing world that at all until 2011 when people were like, well, we, we're, your, your activism is coming out of nowhere. It's like, no, actually, there's a 10-year history of my of my activism that I've just kept separated from the surfing world. Um, but that's when I started to interact with the media and how media tends to to portray things and control messaging. So, um so that was basically my boots on the ground um, understanding of of how activism works uh, in a very intense time. What right? were those experiences then? Being on the front lines of of marches, for instance, the week after nine yeah. eleven, getting spit on by people who just wanted to go over there and blow somebody's head off. And yeah, they just wanted blood. It was one of the one of the most ferocious times in in American history when you had people who just wanted to kill something. Yeah, they just wanted us to go over and just destroy something right and then here you had a bunch of peaceniks who were out there going don't go in and bomb things and they're going oh no 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 <laughs> uh we're going to take our rage out on you so um i learned how to to mediate and, and do certain things in really intense situations and then also to to try to give the media as much information as as we were comfortable with in order to try to get in front of some of the negative narratives um but fox news right away in 2001 it was i mean that was when it was going okay news is going to be really interesting to deal with from this point forward because you can you can now see how they twist things in order to serve yeah. a particular message so i learned all about that as an activist back in 2001 right and how to to be with a diverse coalition of of people who have who have different reasons for being there right from people who are full-blown communists all the way to people who are just hippies with their birkenstocks on who just don't like war right um but this vast, vast array of people who show up for a single issue and how that issue um, catalyzes and, 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 and brings people together. That was my first lesson in how activism um, is developed th that can be powerful. So taking that forward, it's, it's um, the, different, the different points in time where I engaged the surfing community, whether it was the, um, to the 2013 kind of Roxy uh, effort um, where it was, let's all let's get everybody together 
to push and put pressure on a company to to make change and at first it was laughed at scoffed at and then it, and then it shifted right? yeah should we talk about that a little bit yeah let's talk about that because that was the first time that i um remember reading your name because you were so um vocal in that so this was the steph gilmore what was the campaign called again i can't remember but who was, am i just guess yeah but it was basically well i'll let, I'll let you explain it was an advertisement for a world championship surf event that Roxy was putting on. And um, it was a, you know, who am I just guess. So they followed around this surfer as she was rolling out of bed and taking a shower. And nobody could figure out whether or not it was for a phone ad or bed sheets or was it for a car or because it was just so over the top sexualizing and you know you didn't get a chance to see her at all it was just all following her you know behind the scenes yeah it was it was like the the kind of nadir of you know that storytelling isn't it you know it's basically like let's not talk about the surfing let's yeah. let's talk about the sexualization and this right. person is a sex object essentially exactly you know for for a brand ostensibly selling to women yeah which is Roxy came out arguably at a time in the 1990s when when women were were definitely not being taken seriously and and models were getting paid more than surfers to do um, surf ads for you know and sponsorships were negligible for women and they came out with a board short and all of a sudden it was okay to be a female surfing athlete for a short period of time and and until they shifted to surfer models and then Roxy Rexia started. Um, which is sort of the Roxy plus anorexia thing. Um, and then further down the line, you ended up with, you know, the, the hypersexualization of the female professional surfer. Um, so uh, at the end of the day, it was Roxy, you started out by empowering women surfers. Yeah. Where are you at now? Is this really who you, like, is this really who you are? It was a challenge to Roxy. It was, you know, you've done a lot for women surfing. Where are you taking us now? Is this really where we want to go? And the, 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 very clear response from female surfers and male surfers alike where was no this yeah, is not where we want to go overwhelmingly negative i would say yeah yeah so yeah so you you basically oversaw a campaign right where you directly tackled them on this yeah just you know it was it was kind of the height of of call out yeah you know call it out you go create a big giant petition show up do media around it have a conversation with them see if they're willing to change it um people got fired in the process uh, people who attacked me ended up getting fired um, because they they publicly threatened me, um, threatened my life. And ah, the the response was was vociferous and yeah. and horrifying. Yeah. A lot of it, a lot of it, and stuff behind the scenes too that that I I don't talk about very much. But you know, people had access to my my email, so I was getting some some pretty intense um, feedback. <laughs> <laughs> But but again, it's whenever you're in a moment for me. Whenever I'm in a moment like that, I ask myself, "Is this worth it?" And the, and the answer is, if if this changes things, if if we don't ever go back to this point, then it, and it has to be somebody. Then it, I'm fine with it being me. Yeah, the level of kind of um, defense as well was, to put it kindly, quite basic, wasn't it? It was basically like, well, what's wrong with being sexy? Almost like the spinal tap, you know, debate. Yeah. Uh, line of reasoning which is something that came out a lot you know like well it's, what's wrong with that that's fine and then the other thing was like well she was fine with it like what's the big deal sure. which was also like a huge thing wasn't it yeah and that was also almost the response from roxy initially right yes yeah but the 
but the way that I was perceiving it was, of course, look, just because you're a woman doesn't mean that you're somehow exterior to how society um, socializes us. Yeah, right? exactly. You, you. It's contributory. You're always going to find that one person who's supposed to, who, who's going to be the spokesperson for for the the, the status quo. Um, and that person then becomes the the messenger for we should just retain the status quo. Um, but that's the way structural anything works, right? Structural sexism, structural uh, racism. Um, but that doesn't that that doesn't mean that token person doesn't mean that that structural sexism or structural racism isn't hurting a lot of people. And um, that's that's you just keep pushing because ending that will will progress the society and progress us as, as a culture so what was the how what was the um, outcome of that in the end of that campaign <clears throat> the outcome was a really great video the next year um there was a, a significant shift in how um female surfers were um were uh presented um the asp stopped being the governing body of surfing, the WSL took over, and one, as one of their first acts, they started to add women's competitive events um, like Trestles and Maui, and they presented female surfers as athletes. They did not uh, present any more sexualized pictures or film or video of female surfers. So it's it significantly shifted things. And do you feel like you your career was? a sacrifice for this whole thing because you eventually boycotted the, the tour that you're on right and w remind me when that was again sure um i won my third world title in 2010 and in 2011 so it was that one year 2010 to 2011 and it was within 2011 that i said i will not i will not be participating in the sport anymore because of um because of where it's going where where it's headed so this is politically, as you mentioned, and on every level, presumably the depiction of women, and also the, like you mentioned, Hainan Island. Like yep. on every on every level, it was the way that this was being depicted and organised that you that made you make that decision. Yeah, it was the right time, and and it was actually it was definitely made with the understanding that this is the first time in my in my career in my life that I will be able to take a trophy or uh, a, a a title in surfing. And use it for something that um, that I strongly believe in. So that needs to be contextualized back when in 2001, after I'd won my second world title, I asked myself after 9-11, what good is a world championship title when the world is falling apart the way it is right now? What social good can surfing possibly do in a world that has this that just happened? And... That became um, my answer to myself in 2011 um, when I had a world title and everything was going down and I thought to myself, this is how. This is how it can actually do some good. Um, even if it's just bringing, bringing a lot of visibility and awareness to the fact that 80% of the world's garment workers are women and surfing uses untransparent supply chains and um, the way that we're manufacturing is um, completely detrimental to the environment and to humanity. And that message was heard loud and clear um, by a number of people who might surprise folks um, of the general public. But I was getting email messages from folks who ended up making decisions at a very large level right. um, based upon some of some of the work that I did in my stance. How was it personally, though? Because obviously you've worked for something your whole life. 
you know, to reach this position in the sport, to, to, to achieve competitively what you wanted to achieve, to walk away from that. I mean, it sounds like you'd consider the trade-off to be worthwhile because of the evident pride and the change that you're talking about. But that is a difficult thing to do, surely. Was that, you know, how, how did it feel to give that up? Um, I'd already gone through a point in my life when I wondered if I was anything more than just a surfer. And so I think that's a, when you're talking about people who walk away from their sport, whether it's um, to make a statement um, like Kaepernick, right? Yeah. Um, or um, people who age out of their sport. There's always this struggle around your identity. But I had already gone through that when I was younger. That's really interesting. It's such a common theme, this, when it, I interview athletes. You know, it's it, it's in the post, isn't it? It's coming, that yeah. reckoning, basically. Yeah. And it is about, from. I don't have the experience personally, but from what I understand, it's, it's about self-identity. Yeah. It's about who am I now, isn't it? Yeah, but you dealt with that because of this process. You'd been able, you'd already been going through this, so it's really interesting. So when the day came, you were already reconciled. I was reconciled, and and I and I knew that that decision was going to be the end of my surfing competitive surfing career, and um, if I was going out on that note, um, I was I was okay with that. Right, I was okay with that. And you continued to be an advocate though, in in, in the industry. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, Absolutely. Because there was two other organizations, is that right? That you... Yeah, the Institute for Women Surfers, yeah. um, which uh, was bringing public humanities, basically a academia and surfers and activists and businesses together for political education. Um, what we, what I understood political education to be back then yeah. uh, is very different now. <laughs> and then the, the Inspire Initiative, um, which was about uh, our initial act through the Inspire Initiative was creating the history of womensurfing.com because the understanding was that women's histories are not being told by women and they're certainly not being told sort of more generally either um women's history starts in 1995 with lee sanderson strangely and then maybe three other um uh, female surfing legends that that everybody's aware of but the diversity and the richness of women's surf history has never been captured so the first act of the inspire initiative was to create um uh, an online tool for to begin to start to do that work of archiving some of the stories well, that's kind of leads me to what's been happening recently in the last week or so, because oh, yeah. Kiala basically gave a speech at the, I mean, this is how much I pay attention to the surf industry tomorrow, to be honest, but there was, what was it, the, the Hall of Fame, was it, or the World Championships? Yeah, it's the World Champion, it's the award ceremony for the World Championships. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that had a huge reaction on social media, you know, and it was like, this is the first LGBT world champion and... um you know we're now in a place where this is which is great obviously and you yes, must and you must take real pride in the progress that you've helped contribute towards but your voice was missing from that debate um given what we've talked about today and given the contribution that you've made to this debate and it does seem to be another example of rewriting history a little bit right in the way that it's it, it's a, you know you, what this is about really this conversation is about two is alternative narratives isn't it you know it's like the traditional narrative of, of surfing which this kind of fits into and then there's the there's an alternative narrative on every level which is what you're talking about whether it's your own story or the story of women surfing and it's happened again and you know that again i'm 
the question is how do you you know how does it feel when it happens again you know like despite all this you know because you know i saw the facebook thing and i saw the response the, the back and forth that you had with carla about all this and i thought she was really gracious and you know but that must be difficult to swallow to see to see it happening again yeah um look i'm an inconvenient champion i'm inconvenient for the surf narrative i'm inconvenient for um uh, the dominant status quo and um it's not surprising on a couple of levels the first is and the most generous innocent naive perspective of it is that because we don't have a good solid history of women surfing and because in the past when i did win the world title and it was in the new york times that the you know married to my wife since 2008 i'm openly it's gay all, it's, it's, it's out it's there. there it's out there. there's a documentary on yeah, it yeah yeah i've seen um, a documentary that the, i mean that the asp didn't didn't put it out there or whatever but to, so the sort of short-term memory loss um associated with women surfing or alternative narratives um you know the again that the innocent most generous perspective on this is we need to do a much better job yeah at at really highlighting some of the stories that that don't get into the mainstream surf media, um, we need to do a better job. And the the less generous um, perspective on it was um, or is uh, we can we can go back to when I won my world title and the fact that I didn't receive an invitation to the championship awards, so I never received the actual trophy and. After that, basically, it was unless it was a negative story or a negative perspective on me, it was just I was getting hammered. You were denied the platform that's now being celebrated. Right. So um, the timing wasn't right back then for somebody who actually knew their worth and actually knew how to um, how to communicate in order to change the industry. Now the timing is right, and I'm thrilled. I'm absolutely thrilled that there was a room full of industry folks and surfers, professional surfers, who stood up and applauded Kiala Kennelly when, when she made that statement. Kiala knows me. I've known her since I was 15 years old. Um, whatever that looked like behind the scenes, however that decision came about, um, it's... Um, I think the, the one thing that I'm focusing on the most is if this can get us to a point where we realize that we really need to do a better job at, at telling the stories of people who we are a part of our surf, surf history, whether you like it or not, um, then then it will have been worth it. Yeah. But, um, but I'm not within the surfing culture anymore. Surfing cannot erase me. They can try to rewrite as much as they want, but I never let the surf culture um, or the surf industry, the status quo, define me. And I never allowed them to dismantle me. I continued to move into different spaces. In in now, I'm in the political space, and I have a different um, a different voice now. And I don't um, pull my worth from surf culture anymore. Uh, so the, the, the relationship or what they're, uh, what they're trying to do or what, what happened now is no longer some insignificant, um, surfer who they can silence. 
this gets blown out and this gets taken up and there needs to be a reckoning with our past. I sent an email to, um, I was exchanging back and forth, or I sent an email to um, one of the higher-ups at the WSL who emailed me. And um, I said, look, where we're going, who we are becoming as a surf culture can be brilliant, bold, and visionary. This past year, surfing was the first United States sports league to achieve prize money equity between men and women. That is a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. That is a big deal. Yeah. But we're not going to be able to get away from the hiccups of our past. And it's the only way that we can move forward is by recognizing where we went wrong, acknowledging it, and then continuing to move forward. But if we don't, if we don't pay attention to that reckoning, if we if we don't acknowledge when we've made those mistakes, then we're whitewashing the entire story. We're whitewashing it. And, and so many times when, when you have progress, there are certain groups of people who just want to completely ignore that the past happened and start as if we're on a, a clean slate. And time after time, you have people who say justice, equity, all of these, these ideas about fairness have to emerge from an acknowledgement of who we were, who a lot of us continue to be before we can truly step into who we're, we're going to become with a sense of, of um, a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning. Like, why are we doing this? Why is this important? The implied importance is that we, we were much different in the past. We, we didn't acknowledge LGBTQ surfers. We actively silenced them. We erased them. Um, we were really off when it came to pay equity. But now we're here. Now we're at equality. So the the people all along the way who got squashed and erased and silenced, um, a core part of my character as well as has always been to to be a defender of those people. So I'm certainly not going to back away from it when I need to defend myself in that situation. I'm really interested in what you said earlier about the the Olympics as well because I'd never actually really thought about it in those terms. Uh, I mean, my background snowboarding. So, and I've I've written a lot about the relationship with snowboarding and the Olympics over the years. And whether it's snowboarding, skateboarding, and surfing, it's it's positioned as a battle to retain our values in the face of this commercial, um, not even commercial, but like the mainstream appropriation. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, but I, n- I never even considered the the position that you said earlier. Like, well, actually it's a positive thing because it means that there's because that that narrative we need to defend our core values is essentially like our traditional effectively very conservative core values really yeah you know it's it's almost we like it the way it is and we don't want change essentially and i'd never even really considered it in those terms before but you're right aren't you because and like you said you can see the positive effects in this part of the debate already which is really fascinating. Yeah, it is. Is I'm. It sounds like you might have interacted with the with the whole concept of the Olympics the same way I was, which was I, I don't consider surfing in the Olympics or in a wave pool. Um, surfing, <laughs> it's waveboarding, right? So if you have to go into the Olympics or you have to go into a wave pool in order to get into the Olympics, the relationship with the ocean is completely subjugated. It's gone. Yeah, I mean right? that, that that's 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 another podcast, probably isn't it? Yeah, it's another podcast. <laughs> um, but 
But because all of these non-traditional sports are now having to engage with yeah. the Olympic values, of course, then they are forced to to reckon with their um, misogyny, their racism, their you know sexism. They're forced to reckon with it. Yeah, I mean, and God knows that organization isn't perfect, but this pla- the, the platform it most definitely is not perfect. Yeah, um, <laughs> which is the third podcast. Uh, but you know, this the, the, yeah, the platform has that value, doesn't it? It does. It, it, uh, to basically, you know, these areas of the industry that, that are ripe for change and that need change, it's, it's going to kickstart that, isn't it? It's going to yeah. speed it up, basically. It will. Are you still keeping an eye on what's going on in, on, in the debate in surfing generally? Because, you know, there's been the whole big wave thing as well with like Chiara again and Bianca Valenti and these these surfers, um, you know, the whole Mavericks thing. And they've, they've there's been activism and advocacy there as well. Have you been following that story? I did. I followed it very closely. And after they were able to accomplish what they were able to accomplish, I had a conversation with our state assembly member um, before she was elected and said, hey, wouldn't it be great if we were able to codify this into California state law? Yeah, right. I thought that was how it came about. Yeah, that's how it came about. Yeah, which is, again, like absolutely ridiculous. So that's what it talk really you know but it's the again it's the cultural thing wasn't it really you know the reason the reason why people didn't want to change that status quo yeah it's but it's interesting to think about big wave surfing because as women surfers have entered into surfing spaces that are typically um traditionally masculine spaces you've watched sort of the hyper masculinity drift to the peripheries literally so big wave surfing is the last bastion of masculine hyper, hyper masculinity well, within the sport. And I, actually, the conversation with Sachi Cunningham a few weeks ago, where we were saying, I mean, it's it's almost it's gladiatorial, right? Yeah. You know, the depiction. It's like men, the last, you know, the last frontier of, you know, it's basically the, the story. Yeah, but know? that's that's inter- that's that's what surfing is now for the United States. So prior, you had. The cowboy being sort of the manifest destiny and the race to the West. So it's a fr- an extension of the frontier. That's exactly right. And the surfer has become the United States' new frontiers woman or man. And we're talking about how surfing was dispersed in the same fashion that militarism that was. That is fascinating. Again, I never thought of that. But when you say it, it's the same. It's, it's ex- I mean, the manifest destiny thing, it's, it's the same expression of character, basically. Like, wider character, isn't it? Yes. And Endless Summer was the first point in time where surfing started to express that particular character and ideology. The search. The search. Yeah. The expansion of horizons. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Okay. And you see big wave surfing in those terms? I see big wave surfing in those terms. And that was the one place, of course, it makes perfect sense that, that you have that sort of monumental final clash between you know let us in let let us participate yeah and that that became the the turning point really uh for women's women's equity and um being able to take that and then move it into political spaces where last year surfing became california's official sport yeah and this year surfing will be the midwife to sports equity within the state of california that's amazing. And that's who we can become as yeah, a culture. Of course. That's who we can truly become. So this history of advocacy that you're describing, is this what led you to your current, you know, is it the natural part of the path to be, to, to go for public, you know, to work in public office? Looking back, it seems that way. Um, 
looking back, I, I was challenged when I th was thinking about when the community asked me to run for city council. I was um, challenged by Barney Frank, um, who's a congressman, past congressman from the city, uh, sorry, the state of Massachusetts. And he said, you're either going to continue to trample the grass outside of the institutions where policy is made, right? Or you're going to enter into those halls and start to do the work from the inside. And previously, I didn't like the idea of, you know, change from the inside. I was all about change from the outside. Yeah. Um, and then I quickly realized that opposition, just direct opposition, strengthens the thing that you're trying to defeat. That's an interesting insight. Is that your, what your experience has told you then? Yes, it is. So you think inevitably you need to be on the inside yes. to actually affect real change? I think you need both. I think you need the folks on the outside. The outside pressure. And you also need the folks who are going to do the work on the inside who understand the, the values of those folks on the outside but can, can communicate it strategically inside of political institutions. Like the big wave um, solution that right. you just talked about. Which for them as advocates, that was like, you know, big one-time defeat, right? But being able to take that and translate it into something that is that is uh, going to be the biggest piece of legislation of any state since Title IX, yeah. since 1972, and will have impacts throughout the world, frankly, that then becomes, again, it's this idea of, do you, are you the single person out there yeah. doing yeah. the change? Or are you going to be strategic about it and do it in a way where you can, you can like a massive tidal wave, bring change for generations? And it's societal and long-lasting. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, for me, when I'm thinking about where, where have I been, where am I going, at some point in time, it's a, it's a maturity of the activist into not necessarily becoming a politician, but using political spaces in a way that understands that that is exactly where we negotiate our future. And so redefining political spaces and inviting more people who have different backgrounds into them rather than this whole politics is all bad thing. Yeah. That's how that's how we're going to be able to save the climate, save our oceans um, and do the important work that is um, the, the, the work that's important to me, which is deeply humanitarian. And which is necessary. Yeah. Very necessary. So my final question is, has your relationship with surfing survived these experiences? My relationship with surfing is so deep. I, I, from when I was a little kid to now, I would say that um, I understand being in the ocean and riding waves and interacting with all the different weather events around those liminal spaces that are our beaches in a way that um, is, is more profound than I could have ever imagined. And that's still intact? Deeply. Deeply. Because the activity of surfing is a relationship that never dies. Everything that comes around it is just, it's the fodder around it. But that intimate personal relationship with surfing, it's become more, uh, more intense with time. Yeah. Well, that's great. <laughs> Thank Thanks you. a lot. Thank you so much. So there you go. That was my conversation with Corey Schumacher. I hope you enjoyed it. Now, I'm guessing if you thought I was an overwoke, snowflake, libtard, social justice warrior before, that episode will have done little to persuade you otherwise. Luckily, I couldn't give a fuck about that. And my hope is that this episode provides a welcome antidote to the usual discourse we've all heard so many times before. I mean, those themes do come up depressingly frequently on the podcast. And let's hope... It's going to change because it's, uh, you know, it's 2019, probably about time it did. 
I mean, you don't need me to say this, but it's a pretty funny time to be alive these days when issues of gender politics such as this can be debated publicly like never before, but levels of ignorance have seemingly never been higher and levels of snark and having your cake and eating it have also never been higher. I guess I'm thinking of something like the recent episode of The Grit with Charles Smith and David Lee Scales, where they actually had a really enlightened and insightful conversation about this whole topic, but also couldn't help but reduce it to a glib gender identity politics is so hot right now one liner in the process now more for that old line about if you're going to tell people the truth you better make them laugh or they'll kill you but equally i think sometimes it's necessary just to hear as many alternative viewpoints and stances as possible i mean god knows i do my fair share of furthering the traditional status quo on this show and i also want my personal viewpoints to be challenged i mean that's where growth comes from right That's exactly what happened in this episode and the whole reason why I wanted to get Corey on the show in the first place. So I hope you enjoyed it. Anyway, this is your second ever listen to this show after arriving here from the Jamie Thomas episode and you're still listening. Congratulations. Your prize is to listen in to the regular section of the show entitled Housekeeping Corner. Firstly, I want to say huge thanks to everyone who's been in touch about the Jamie episode. Very proud of the conversation we had and Jamie's honesty and openness clearly struck a chord with a lot of you out there. Big thanks to Jamie once again for the honesty and generosity that he's shown in sharing the episode so widely as well, which has really helped it find a huge audience. Elsewhere, I'm privileged to be featured in a very comprehensive story in the latest issue of Board Sports Source magazine about the impact of podcasts on our little industry. It's a really insightful piece, that one, written by editor Harry Mitchell Thompson and featuring myself, the aforementioned David Lee Scales and Chris Cote, who I was lucky enough to meet and interview for a forthcoming episode of the show while I was in the States. So keep an ear out for that one. Finally, great response to the suggestion of doing a book about the California trip, which myself and Owen have been mulling over. Anyone's got any ideas for format, distribution, or any brands listening are interested in collaborating on a nice little content project, then let me know over at podcast at wearelookingsideways.com. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks as ever for listening to the show. If you're enjoying the work I do here, please consider sharing on social media, leave me a review on iTunes, buy some merch over at my shop at www.wearelookingsideways.com or contact me on podcast at wearelookingsideways or over at We Look Sideways on Insta to let me know. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Thanks for listening. Nice one. <laughs>